Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning, or whether you're with me here in the room or we're together online. I'm just glad we're together. Amen. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Anyone still working on their Easter candy? Anyone at all? I got a stash you kept from the kids, still working on that. I have to admit, I am still, I'm pretty proud of myself on this, working on a chocolate bunny that happened to have made it into my possession. How that happened, that's another whole story. But I'm really glad uh, that I still have some chocolate bunny to work on. And you know what? I learned that habit from my wife, Tamara. She is an extremely patient eater of chocolate. Like if you were to give her a Reese cup, you could come back 15 minutes later, she is still working on that thing. For me, I'm like two bites and it's a miracle, like a, a, a display of great self-control if it's three bites, right? And yet she'll kind of nibble on all the sides, get all the chocolate, it's like a whole experience. And so I'm learning from her a new habit of how to relish your chocolate, not just wolf it down like there's no tomorrow, which is my general way of approaching it. Uh, we're going to talk about habits today, actually, and we're going to observe the fact that you and I are what we habitually do, that this is true for us. Our habits, our patterns of choices and behaviors are strong determinants of the direction of our lives. And we all long to know what to do to improve our lives. We're all looking for ways to progress and grow and improve. And we know and can maybe when we start to examine that subject, we start to realize habits and patterns of choices are a, a, a big part of that. We want to improve our lives, improve ourselves. What we as Christians are discovering is that and anything that we want to call progress or health has to start with our own spiritual health, right? That spiritual health is actually the foundation of all other health and that nothing in my life progresses, not my relationships, not my uh, self-discipline, not my career, uh, nothing really progresses in any kind of meaningful way without progress right here in my heart, my character, my soul. So we're going to explore, we've been exploring in this series, what new life in Jesus looks like. And today, we're going to tackle the formative habits and the transformative healing that this new life in Jesus brings, that he calls us to new habits and true healing. Now, when it comes to the psychology of motivation and the effectiveness of habits, Few authors have taught me more about this than a guy named James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. I would recommend it if you're interested in this kind of thing. And before I share a couple of insights from the book, let me just take an aside to remind us of something that at least I have found to be true. I bet you have too. And that is there is lots that we can learn um, in this world. There is a lot of, of knowledge and learning and education that we can gain even as Christians, and receive it as God's truth, that all truth is God's truth. Not everything out there is true. I don't think I need to tell you that, right? There's plenty of things that aren't true, inaccurate, unhelpful, misguided, uh, misinformation, you name it. But there are things that we can learn, and we can take those things and lay them next to Scripture and ask, is this true? Does this square with Scripture? Is this knowledge 
helpful to me in my own spiritual life? And do I see that it doesn't conflict, but instead actually helps me become and obey the things I do read in Scripture? And I have found, at least, that what I'm about to share does exactly that. It simply falls right in line with the kinds of things I consistently see in Scripture that Jesus is calling me to, to be a person of self-discipline or to be a person with good, healthy habits. That's certainly scriptural. These are just some observations about how that works and how we can be uh, stronger and clearer headed in that direction. So let me share a couple of powerful insights here. The first is the power of systemic habits, and the second is the power of incremental growth. Pardon me. So to quote from from this book, uh, James Clear makes an observation at one point. Goals are good for setting a direction but systems are best for making progress. And this is what we're talking about today, making progress in our spiritual lives, new habits, true healing. He says, and this is really good, you do not rise to the level of your goals. We all have goals. And if we just want to try to jump and reach those goals, we'll many times find that we're exhausted and we fall short. But you will fall, he says, to the level of your systems. In other words, what we aspire to be is a great start. But what we do every day is what's going to count and what gives us any real chance of fulfilling those aspirations. This is true in every area of life, whether it be your marriage or or your physical health or your finances or you name it. Good habits lay down systems, as he puts it, patterns there, will actually become the floor on which we then grow the rest of our lives and, in this case, our faith. And so we will fall to the level of our systems. We all may aspire to be growing Christians, and yet we also need to make sure we're laying down in our lives the habits that make that possible. This is simply how humans work, and Jesus knows this full well, so he calls us to new habits, powerful ones that foster the real progress we are all desperately searching for. Now, here's the second insight that, that he makes. This is a really good one, too. He says, the difference that a tiny improvement can make over time in our lives is astounding. Here's how the math works out. If you can get 1% better or stronger or whatever the case may be each day in a certain area for a year, you end up 37 times better by the time you're done in that year. Conversely, if you get 1% worse each day drifting in the other direction, even incrementally for a year, you'll decline nearly down to zero. And so when it comes to our faith, of course, we're not talking about something that can be precisely measured in that way. Don't get me wrong. Of course, that's absolutely true. But the principle holds. You and I can look back at a month, six months, a year, three or five years, and we will know, we will know down in our souls the kind of trajectory that we've been on. And chances are good, it might be all over the map, but the trend line is probably going one direction or another. That we start to feel as though we, we know we're, we're stronger than we used to be, or we're clearer headed than we used to be, or we're making better decisions than we used to. We sense the, the nearness of Jesus in ways that we didn't before. Over time, not in a day, but over time, we sense we're moving in the right direction or we're drifting away. And all of us can relate to that. So what we're going to spend 
the next few minutes doing is either discovering, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, or remembering something that perhaps is fairly familiar to you, the single most potent habit any of us can commit to. That is what we're going to look at this morning. And Jesus describes it poetically in John chapter 15. Let me read that to you. These are the words of Jesus. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for these words. You spoke them. They were written down. We're now reading them. They're landing on our ears here today. And we ask God that you would plant them deeply in our hearts, that, that Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher in these next few minutes, and that you would indeed find good soil in us, plant these words in us that they may bear fruit. Lord, we're wide open to that, and we ask that you'd help us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you've been a Christian for a little while, these words might be pretty familiar to you. And so, let me just say, if you've got this down, it's easy for you. You got it down cold. I'll give you a hall pass. You can go get some more coffee or whatever. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. But maybe you're like me, and no matter how many times you've heard them, their poetry, their beauty, as well as their, what, the, what they describe and what it draws out of you and how you read those, and you just say, yes, I want to be that even more than ever before. If that's you, I know it's me, then let's have, some, let's have a good time spending time in these words, these new habits that bring true healing. Now, I said earlier that we would talk about the most important and potent habit that we could form, and uh, Jesus is describing it. I'm going to summarize it this way. Open heart in prayer, open mind and Bible. These basic habits, and really two sides of one basic habit, brings tremendous healing. And when we do that, also in the context of community with others, it is even more exponentially powerful. So let's unpack this for the next few minutes. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, this, is, this touches on a core foundational, man, truth of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Jesus is with us. And he promises always to be so. Post-resurrection, Jesus, right before he ascends, gives his commission to his disciples, and then he caps it off with these final words, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is the last thing he wants to make sure they hear. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. Not some of the time, not every now and then, not when you're especially good or, or you've got all your ducks in a row. I'm going to be with you always, all the way to the very end. That truth, then, we bring that back to what he says when he says, remain in me as I remain in you. We're building here on something solid, his faithfulness to us. Let's define a couple of things here. He keeps using this word remain, 
Let's unpack that for just a second. To remain means to abide, to dwell. If you live in the same house with someone, you are dwelling with them. And in in the same word, you are remaining with them. You're in the same space. You're maintaining a connection. It means to stay and not to depart. It means to continue to be present. It means to be held, to be kept. So Jesus is saying, saying, stay near me. Live with me. Stick with me. So remaining in Jesus and his love means steadily in our day-to-day lives, it means steadily placing ourselves in a position to receive and learn from him. This is the vital habit that we're talking about, this remaining, this abiding. It means to live as his disciple. It's vital to that. And this is up to us. This is a habit we choose or we choose to neglect. Jesus will meet us in these efforts, and he will empower us, but we must choose to engage. Now, there's a second term he keeps using, that idea of bearing fruit. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Fruitfulness is how the scriptures describe both the virtues that ripen within us. As we're saying yes to Jesus, his spirit lives in us, we're promised that love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, and on and on. These virtues grow in us, and they are described at one point as fruit of the Spirit. But fruitfulness is also then applied to the results that bloom from our service and our work, our ministry. We may have a fruitful ministry. God uses us to make good things happen in the lives of others and in the world. That too is fruitfulness. And I believe both are certainly part of what Jesus is saying when he says, you abide in me, man, you're going to bear much fruit. This is how the scriptures define what we might call spiritual success or spiritual progress. This fruit comes from a life that's being healed and made whole, nourished and fed and enriched by connection with its creator. Doesn't that sound good? To just live a life that is nourished and fed and enriched because it is connected to the one who created it. And that's exactly what we're talking about. We can't do this by ourselves. But the good news is, Jesus is telling us here, we never need be by ourselves ever again. You're You're not alone. You're not left alone. You're not rejected. You're not by yourself. Jesus is with us. And he gives us a family to be with us as well. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is restating the point. He's driving it home, but he makes it even clearer. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. At least nothing fruitful, nothing worthwhile, nothing good in any eternal sense. Nothing will be accomplished that you're actually longing for, right? You know, the fruitfulness, the progress, you might say, that we're all looking for in this world. He's saying, that's not going to happen, really, apart from me. Oh, you might make a few strides in a few certain directions, but without me, you'll keep finding that it's empty at the end. But with me, with me, you'll find something entirely fulfilling. And that's what he's giving us here. If you, he, I also always feel like Jesus is saying here, and hey, you know what? If you want to do nothing, you're going to have to do that without me. Because that's not what I'm about, right? Sometimes you, you, we just check out. We want to do nothing. And Jesus is like, well, that's not really my, my game here. Nearness to Jesus always yields spiritual growth and results. 
always going to be good things growing in us as we stay near him. So how do we do that? How do we remain? Let's unpack this keystone habit that we're talking about here that I mentioned earlier and start with open heart in prayer. Open heart in prayer. We read in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now this is the heart of prayer, love. We can overcomplicate prayer, but at its core, prayer is about presence first. It's about being present with God who loves us so much. We might think prayer is about, man, I got to say the right words, and do I even know what to say? And we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Prayer is first, remember these words, abide, dwell, remain in me. Prayer is first about just knowing God is with me, and I can turn the attention of my heart, my mind, toward him, that is the foundation of prayer. In experiencing his love, reminding ourselves of that love, sitting in that love is the beginning of anything that we might attempt to call prayer. One of my favorite authors is a guy named David Benner, and he writes uh, at one point, the fact that I am deeply loved by God is increasingly the core of my identity. He says something that I can be increasingly convinced is true. And that's a great description of spiritual growth. The idea that I can know with increasing confidence that I'm loved by God. That alone is such a powerful insight that it is the, it is the beginning of all other spiritual growth. And man, you, if that gets slippery for you, and it does for me, you just got to keep grasping that truth first. And any other truth, if you, lose, if you lose first that grip on the idea that you are loved completely by God, and you begin to just focus on some other things, you start to get legalistic, or you start to get judgy, or whatever, all of that happens in me or in you when we begin to lose sight of the fact that we are first and foremost deeply loved by God. Abiding with Jesus, I found at least, is like sitting with someone who knows you better than you know yourself. And as you sit with Jesus, you begin to sense that he says things like, I see this in you. I made you for that. Together, let's work on this. I've always wanted to see you grow in that. Oh, and by the way, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I love you. These are the kinds of things that you begin to sense and hear when you spend time with Jesus. And when that happens, no, one's, no one else's opinion of you will be able to touch the fact that you're loved by him. Amen? And let's not underestimate just how potent that realization is. Any of us on any given day, and certainly so much of the world trying to do life without God, feels any number of things. Shamed, for instance. We believe we are nothing but a disappointment to God. So people walk around thinking that there's this distance that will never be traversed. God's written them off. Or they feel belittled. We get busy comparing ourselves to other people, and we just decide that uh, we're not good enough to be loved by them or maybe even by God. Or we become distracted. We focus on the wrong things to determine our identity and our worth, or we eventually just get disconnected. We isolate ourselves because we think we're never enough, we're never going to measure up, and who would love us? All these things can be happening in the, the storm, the tumult that is our own minds. And for those of us who spend time and thinking in the realm of soul care, 
what we're talking about here right now is the equivalent of a cancer, its own pandemic. It's not to be approached casually or considered as such. It, this stuff that we're talking about eats us alive. Every human soul needs to know it's loved. That at our core, this is what everyone is searching for an answer for. And that is, am I loved? Can I be loved? Am I worthy of love? Does someone out there truly, fully, and completely love me? Now, not everyone might put it in exactly those terms, but I've become convinced that in the end, that is the gnawing, aching hunger of every soul. And we will fill it in any way we possibly think we can. And again, it will always leave us with the same gnawing emptiness until we meet Jesus. When this is in question, when there is a question mark at the end of this idea of being loved, instead of a period or an exclamation mark, when it is in question, that slowly kills us, starting in our soul, sometimes not even slowly. The greatest physician, that's what Jesus is sometimes called, is your new best friend when you say yes to him. Now, calling him the great physician, that might sound a little old-fashioned. Maybe you've heard people say that. But i got to tell you, he really is the greatest physician. Why do I say that? I say that because he knows exactly what it takes to heal us. He sees into my heart and soul. His diagnosis, always dead on. And he knows exactly what it takes to heal me. And whatever it is that you need in your healing... Whatever it is that I need in my healing, I guarantee you it starts with one thing, a big heaping dose of love. To become convinced, increasingly convinced, friends, no matter what else is happening in your life, that there is this love that shines as relentlessly as the sun. It is landing on you and it doesn't quit and never stops, doesn't waver. That's the spiritual foundation for anything else that we might call fruitfulness in our lives. Only the steady and sure love of God can silence that driving inner voice that tells us we're not smart enough or rich enough or thin enough or tough enough or righteous enough, attractive, successful, popular enough. Only Jesus can do that. Open heart in prayer. There's this great moment in the Gospels in which Jesus is, is walking in, and a man who is blind uh, cries out to Jesus. And Jesus stops, and he doesn't do this with everybody, but in this one instance, he turns to him and he asks him this question. And this is a question that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus might ask me that question, because I'm thinking, no, 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 Jesus, you're the Lord of the universe. I'm here to do things for you, right? You know, I want to serve you. But Jesus reminds us many times in the Gospels that he is also a servant. In fact, he leads by serving. And then he's there. And so here he stops and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And I can't help but wonder if sometimes, if we stop in prayer and just open our minds and hearts, if, if Jesus were to ask you or I that question, how much would we learn by our answer? By whatever it is that springs up out of us when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, Rob? Now this guy his answer was a little bit obvious, right? He goes, I want to see. I have to admit, that's my answer a lot of times too. I may not be physically 
blind, but I feel sometimes that I'm dim and groping in all kinds of ways in my life, trying to figure out what's the wise decision? What, do, what should I do next? How do I handle this situation? I just can't help but think that if we carve out a little silence and let Jesus ask us some questions, what might we learn by our answers? It is an act of deep spiritual devotion to simply be yourself and let others be themselves and then appreciate each of you for who God made you to be. Silence that voice that says you're not enough, that God doesn't have time for you or that you've somehow, you're somehow outside the circle of his love. Open heart in prayer. This is key. And just to be clear, I'm, sitting, I'm talking about specifically sitting in silence and focusing on being present with God. We're talking about a real habit, not just an idea that we might all think is a pretty neat thing to think about, but actually doing it. Now, when we do, of course, our minds will wander. No big deal. Pray simple prayers like, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You could pray that two dozen times in five minutes to keep your mind from wandering. That's okay. Carve out a few minutes. Or the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And on and on there as Jesus taught us. Now, we can turn to God and pray, of course, throughout our day. Anytime, anywhere, we can stop what we're doing and, and, and spend time with God. But I'm talking about a keystone habit of devoting time, even just a few minutes a day. That is a powerful habit, the system that we can begin to lay down that helps form who we are and who we're becoming. Open heart in prayer. But there was a second half to this uh, habit, open mind and Bible. Jesus said in verse 10, if you keep my commands you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Disciples of Jesus are students of Jesus. That's essentially what disciple means. So as his good students, we dedicate ourselves to learning from him. We pay close attention to all that he said and did and what his closest, earliest followers wrote about life in him and how it's lived. All of that, as well as the Hebrew scriptures referred to as the Old Testament, is found in the collection of sacred writings we call the Bible. Our search for wisdom starts there. Now, it's easy to underestimate the Bible or to take it for granted. Since it's so ancient, we may question its relevance. It's been around a long time. Does it really know what it's talking about today? Since it uh, sits on so many shelves and bedside tables, we might consider it commonplace and just kind of write it off as being just a very, very common kind of thing. But it's actually and truly the powerful, perfect Word of God. In it, we find words foreshadowing and predicting Jesus, words about Jesus and the faith that he founded. And most importantly, we find the words of Jesus. He once declared those words that he has spoken to us are full of the Spirit and of life. These are the words we need most. So as his disciples, we make it a holy habit to get into the Scriptures and get the Scriptures into us. Amen? They are God's nutrition for our souls and his operating system for our minds. There really is no replacement to downloading, the consistent downloading of the truth and wisdom of the Bible into our hearts and minds. Reading it, listening to it, thinking on it, memorizing portions of it, studying it, praying it, sharing it with others, simply spending time 
with it. The writings of the Bible are wide in their scope, no doubt, and deep in their insight. But its truth is accessible to all, man, woman, boy or girl. So don't think you need to be specially trained or especially pure to appreciate and apply the teaching of Jesus to your life. Simply opening your Bible with an open heart and mind is a powerful thing. And opening it in community with other Christians in a good church family with some solid pastor teachers only enhances and sharpens that power. Jesus is who we need to lean into and learn from. And time in the Bible is time with him. How we adopt, it's how we adopt his school of thought. It's how we adapt ourselves to his teaching and example. It's very straightforward. Open heart in prayer. Open mind in Bible. This alignment, we talked about this last week, this alignment of our wants, right? What I want starts to change and becomes more and more in line with what he wants. In fact, in this same passage, at one point Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll ask for anything you want and it will be granted. What's he saying? He's talking about this alignment that we have where my wants start to fall in line with what God wants. And now I'm really abiding. The nourishment, the the will of God is really flowing from vine to branch here. And fruit is the inevitable result. So let me be real clear as we begin to wrap up this morning. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a keystone habit of even 15 minutes a day, even four days a week, just more days than not in any given week. Friends, if you couple that with an hour of worship on Sunday morning and you do that consistently, I can practically guarantee, and I don't say those words lightly, but certainly my 20-some years of experience in, in what we get to do here together has told me that I can practically guarantee you will see and feel a tremendous difference in your life if you lay down that system, that keystone habit, of a few minutes more often than not in any given week, spending time with an open heart in prayer and an open mind in Bible. You'll find a reduction of your ego and a reliance on Jesus, increasing more of him, less of me. You'll find yourself calmer, more centered, a cleaner heart, a clearer mind. And check this out, bad habits and patterns. Anyone got some of those? That's right. Bad habits and patterns can feel like mighty oaks in the ecosystems of our souls, right? But abiding in Jesus starts to starve the root systems of those mighty oaks and softens the soil around them. And that one day you'll begin to feel those mighty oaks fall, timber, right? And you'll begin to realize there'll come a day when those are in your past, not in your present, and not in your future. What happens when I habitually abide with Jesus? He tells me who I am. And he exposes the lies that this world tells me and that I tell myself. He heals my wounds. He gives me strength to move forward. He teaches me grace and how to forgive. Anyone need that lesson? He grants me peace. He guides me out of anxiety and worry and striving and all the threat and the fret of trying to live day to day without him. Verse 11, Jesus told us, I have told you this, 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Friends, what we're talking about here is a joyful and fun thing. It's the life Jesus means to give us. Amen? As we take our communion here in just a moment, I invite you to take the bread and cup into your hands. Let me ask you a question. Or let me encourage you to ask yourself a question. Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want? I don't mean do I know exactly how. Do I predict I'll be perfectly good at it? Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to learn from him, live near him, remain or abide with him? Now, if your honest answer this morning is no, then I do think you're in a safe place to keep exploring that. And I'm really glad that you're with us. There's little more I can do right now than to share with you how good it's been for me that my no eventually became a yes. And so I would just encourage you, keep that door open. We'll hang with you. We're totally glad that you're here. If your answer is no for now, then I feel you. And I just pray that you would keep that door open, that a yes might be in your future. But for those of us who've said yes, and we have this bread and cup in our hands as testimony to that yes, let's remind ourselves of something. The thing we bring to life most consistently is ourselves, right? Ourselves and all of our wants and desires, all our proclivities and preferences and prejudices, our whole hot mess, right? We bring it to the table every week here at Outlook. And we say, God, here I am again. And we believe in faith that he says, welcome. I'm glad you came. I love you just as much as I ever have, which is more than you'll ever imagine, right? And when we make that kind of bringing a habit, we bring our whole selves to him. We would say, I'm still connected. I'm still here, Jesus. Thanks for you never leaving me. I'm back, and I'm here, and I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to return to you. When we make that a habit, then healing will surely flow. So my prayer for all of us is that as we make that habit of of abiding in Jesus, that we will find ourselves all to be deeply connected branches to his vine, amen, and that we will be heavy with fruit. And so as we take this bread, which he said represents his body broken for us, let us remember him and recommit to abiding in him. Let's take and eat. And we take the cup, remembering he told us that it represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We abide and dwell in that truth as we take and drink it together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've heard this morning. We receive it as straight from you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher. And so, Lord, we ask again that you would plant this truth deeply within us as only you can do. Lord, help us. Give us the insight and the, and, and the, the ability to, to carve out a few minutes each day or, or more days than not to focus just on you to invite you into our everyday. Lord, that's, uh, it's not hard for us to see in moments like this that that's a great idea. 
that we'd bear a lot of fruit from that, that that would help us in a lot of ways. But we know that tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow night and as this week takes, its own, takes on its own life, that might be hard for us to, to do. So we ask right now, God, that you'd go ahead of us and help us carve out those moments in which we focus exclusively on you. We lean on you. And yes, even miraculously, amazingly, listen to you. Listen to you tell us that you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.